This is the Life Truth Network. Welcome to Life Truth Presents, a clean fiction podcast. If it's clean fiction, it's fair game. My goal is to come alongside Clean Fiction Magazine over at cleanfictionmagazine.com. They sell their quarterly publications on Amazon. If it's not the type of thing covered in CFM, I want it to be here. That gives you, the listener, access to even more clean fiction. You could even hear interviews, game reviews, featured audio drama reviews, and some of the dramas themselves. I want this to be big. Welcome to Life Truth Presents. Today, we look at one author's speculative fiction piece on hell. Continue our interview with Greg Kokel and take a look at yet another classic by C.S. Lewis. Spring is near, and before March ends, we will get to see the arrival of the Spring 2023 edition of Clean Fiction Magazine, with yours truly reviewing audio dramas, as well as sharing an expanded version of Stronghold with content not in the Life Truth Network drama. Did you know Clean Fiction Magazine takes submissions? Submit a clean fiction book or drama you love, or one you've written, by going over to cleanfictionmagazine.com and choosing Submit from the menu. If it's not something Clean Fiction Magazine reviews, but it's still clean fiction, an example, video games, children's content, old-time radio, feel free to submit it at life-truth.com slash submissions. Today we are going to share with you a speculative fiction piece by Tiffany Lott. The subject isn't a pleasant one, but it is one to think about. It's hell. So if you have smaller children listening, you may want to consider sending them elsewhere or putting in your headphones. Listen first and then determine if you want them to hear it. So here is Fire and Brimstone by Tiffany Lott. Fire and Brimstone by Tiffany Lott. I barely heard my screams above the cacophony of wailing souls surrounding me in the pit. Some sounded like mine, filled with regret. Others resonated with anger, but all echoed the never-ending agony. How long I'd been here was a mystery. On one hand, it felt like minutes. On the other, it felt like an eternity. Immense heat, a thousand times worse than the hottest of summer suns, rose from the ground floor of endless metal grates. I danced, trying to avoid the torturous temperatures, but each time I landed on the metal, the soles of my bare feet melted like a hot knife cutting through butter. The emanating stench of burning flesh churned my stomach. Vomiting would have been a relief, but not an ounce of anything resembling a liquid would be found down here in the pit. All I could do was dry heave, adding to the pain inside my ribcage. Flames ignited below and licked at my feet, leaving blisters as if their tongues were coated in acid. Ironically, the painful burns had me frozen and afraid any movement would cause more misery. The blaze grew higher. My legs bubbled into boils that burst almost instantaneously. As it continued up to my arms, torso, neck, and face, the skin of my bottom half healed itself just to blister back up again. Only the fire emanated light in the darkness, revealing the silhouettes of other tormented souls perpetually scattered in this cavernous pit. An ear-piercing screech like the sound of fingernails against a chalkboard combined with a crying eagle drew my attention in one direction. The shadow reflected a different being. This wasn't a human soul. It was an angel with wings twice the size of the body. Even as the sound deafened my ears, I echoed its poignant cries. Not what you expected? The flames died down just as the voice had spoken. The charming sound would have felt soothing had the tone not been derisive. Another creature stood before me, even more magnificent than the first. His wings were white as snow as if the pit had no power over him. That's when I noticed the translucent veil between us. Why am I here? All my followers come here when they die, he said matter-of-factly. I never followed you. The pit rumbled underneath me with a threatening growl as if to remind me of my place. But you didn't follow him either, and that's all I needed. The more souls I keep from him, 
the smaller his army. The right side of his face stretched into a snaky grin before something transported me outside the pit. At first, I thought the creature had freed me, but I still stood in flames, the flames of a bonfire, a party. I cried for help, but no one could hear me. They only commented on the crackling noises coming from the fire as if it were getting angry. I remained in the spiritual realm. Then I saw my sister. Live, I cried as loud as I possibly could, though only the hissing of the fire could be heard. Live, please hear me. She danced around in a drunken stupor, half-dressed with a red plastic cup in one hand. She laced her other hand through her hair and raised it into the air. She was drunk. She'd never touched alcohol a day in her life, and there she stood, inebriated and making a fool of herself. Just then, Rebecca walked up to Olivia and grabbed her hand, leading her to sit on a nearby log. I remembered how Rebecca used to invite me to her church. How I wished I'd gone. Maybe she could talk some sense into Olivia. I miss her, Olivia said. Her voice sounded throaty. I do too, Rebecca said quietly, placing an arm around her. I keep picking the phone up to call her any time something happens, like today. I passed my midterm in anatomy, but then I remembered I... I just wish I could see her again. I'm right here, Liv. Look at me. I forced myself to jump and wave my arms despite the painful flames. It's only been a week. Rebecca smoothed Olivia's hair before getting up and walking away. I'll be right back, she said. Tell her, I yelled. Tell her about Jesus. I don't want her to come here like me. If I had the ability to cry, a river would flow, extinguishing the fire in which I stood. And then he appeared, whispering into Liv's ear. She couldn't see him, but I could. Leave her alone, I yelled helplessly. His eyes met mine while his shoulders shook with laughter. Liv stood and threw her cup into the fire. It landed at my feet, the plastic curling as it melted. Then she staggered off and got in her car. No! I searched for Rebecca through the flames. She rummaged through her bag and pulled out a folded piece of paper. Rebecca, stop her, please! I yelled as she walked past the bonfire. I looked back at the driftwood to make sure the angel hadn't followed Olivia. He just stood there, grinning at the scene. Olivia had already driven off by the time Rebecca made her way back to the campfire, the paper clutched in her hand. She searched for Olivia in the growing darkness, farther from the flames just as a commotion went off in the distance. Rebecca screamed, dropped the document, and raced with the crowd toward the noise. The paper drifted, the heated air carrying it closer to me before it landed on the ground by the edge of the fire. It was a pamphlet, and the title read, The Road to Heaven. The magnificently vicious angel walked toward me and kneeled. His gaze shifted from me to the pamphlet before throwing his head back in laughter. His triumphant cackles echoed as I was transported back to the pit. Far in the distance, I noticed a new silhouette. I recognized the voice in her agonizing wail of despair. My sister. This has been Jerry Kokich reading Fire and Brimstone by Tiffany Lott. Produced by Jimmy David Robbins for Life Truth Presents. You know, there are some great moments to talk about, just, just to sit and talk about here. And, and I just want to talk a brief bit about it in the story when the Christian goes to get her pamphlet you notice she goes and gets it too late. That's huge. Uh, no, it's not a good thing. Of course it's not. But how often do we wait and wait and wait until it's too late to tell somebody about Jesus? When there are people in hell right now, read Luke 16 if you don't believe me, there are people in hell right now who are begging for someone to tell their family and friends about Jesus. Great job, Tiffany. Great job. Proud to call you my sister. Today I would like to talk about 
the drama Adventures of Toad, Wind in the Willows, by Radio Theater Project. The genre is fantasy. Radio Theater Project has created an audio drama adaptation of The Wind in the Willows. Just like the book, there are some life lessons that are taught well here. Toad is a problematic figure as he can't seem to control his urges. He gets interested in something, then goes overboard. On top of this, he has some pride issues that must also be dealt with. There's some driving action here, and some action sequences of Toad trying to run from trouble, which proves exciting at times. There is talk of violence, but none is actually portrayed. There is plenty of trouble and adventure this Toad finds himself into. Also, some lessons to take home about humility, honesty, and responsibility. There is no romance or religion here. There are no drugs or magic, just talking animals. I've said more than once already that this has some great life lessons to offer. Its intended audience may have been children, but this adventure is one for the whole family. The Adventures of Toad is in six parts and is offered freely by Radio Theater Project on Apple Podcasts and other directories. To help you find it, I am going to put a link in the show notes for these podcasts to help you find them. As a disclaimer, the Radio Theater Project creates an eclectic variety of content, and we are not endorsing everything they do. However, they do have much more family-friendly content available. I'm not saying they have any horrible content. I just haven't heard or seen all they have to offer at this time, and therefore cannot comment on it. The rating today would, would be a Clean Fiction Magazine rating of N for no problems. That would be in our ranking system, a warning level of zero. There's nothing wrong here. I love being able to give this rating. There's just a great, clean, fun show. Let's continue where we left off with the interview that we had on Quest for Truth with Greg Kokel about his nonfiction book, Tactics. Keith, did you have something you wanted to ask here? I was looking over your questions, and it looked like you might have something. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, I enjoy reading a book where uh, I find out that I'm already doing this. <laughs> and, and, and the yeah. book really, really put a lot of labels on things that I already do. Right. Uh, like the Colombo method, because I'm I'm a very curious person, and if I find someone who doesn't agree with me, I want to I'm more interested in finding out why they think what they think, not right. you know shoving my argument down their throat. Right. And so I really enjoyed learning that I was doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> that um, is a satisfying feeling, <laughs> and you know many of the techniques in this book are not are not particularly unique. They are clever, but they're not clever because I thought them up. They've been around for a long time. What I've done is, is I've organized it a little bit so it's useful, and I've uh, put names on it uh, like uh, suicide and taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and road scholar and things like that, steamroller, that um, help help a person remember the maneuver, if you will. But, but many people will tell me, uh, Keith, that after I've done some sessions on tactics, they'll say, you know what, I work for IBM, and it's the same thing they taught us, you know, or I work for some big multinational company, and, and when I was in sales and whatever, this is, we learn, it's the same common sense stuff that works in communication with people. Right, so well, I used to work as a, uh, a telephone tech support to call center, and and I, I usually got really good results because I spent more time listening to the person's problem before I jumped in to offer a solution. Right. Uh, and so I, I kind of appreciate that I, I'm, I'm already, already doing these things. Uh, one question I wanted to have uh, ask you is, uh, you know, the whole concept of the, the combo tactic and asking questions, how did you... Uh, develop that where did you first you know re recognize that as a thing to do 
Yeah, you know, a lot of these things um, were just born of necessity for me, Keith. Um, I, I was engaged as a follower of Christ. I'm engaged in conversations. Everybody who's a follower of Christ should be engaged. And uh, because of differences in personality, we engage at, at different levels with different frequencies and different intensities and sometimes in different ways. But but we all should be engaged and uh, it, it have a pattern of engagement in our lives. Now, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive than most, especially as a younger Christian. And so I would engage, and during the Jesus movement, there were lots of people, it was a lot easier to talk to people because there were a lot of other ideas that were going on that people were we're also spouting, you know, there are a lot of people with their own ideas that were willing to talk. And so um, I just found that um, kind of the head on bang, 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 I'm right, you're wrong kind of conversation is just not so productive. And that, and sometimes, actually, I think it happened more when I started getting trained in philosophy. And I, now that I think about it, and I started my training in philosophy in 1993 under J.P. Moreland over at Talbot. And um, I started realizing one thing in philosophy is it, it helps you to make refined distinctions that uh, allow you to uh, uh, clear, clear, clear up confusion between things, you know. And, and so I, I realized that when people would say, make statements about things contrary to my view, you know, or whatever, expressing their own world, there were all kinds of ambiguities. I could say, well, may, maybe they mean this or maybe they mean this. And so I realized that I needed clarification on that before I could really go further. So I would ask the question for clarification's sake, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And that's our first Columbo question or some variation, you know. So now when, when, I, when a person says, well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. I, I mean, I want to know, well, wait a minute, what, what, kind of, what, what, what kind of God don't you believe in? Right. I mean, maybe they uh, they don't believe in a guy with a white beard up in a throne in the sky somewhere. Well, I don't believe in that kind of God either. Um, maybe they don't believe in uh, they maybe they believe in a, a, a kind of a religious or some kind of spiritual force, but they don't believe in the God of organized religion. Okay, well, I'm curious what what would be wrong with a religion because it's organized. You know what? what so I, I want to probe that a little bit. And what happens when when I do this? Um, yeah, it is it, it, Keith. As I get, and the way I've explained it before is, I, 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 a kind of a spiritual topography begins to appear before my eyes as I'm talking with somebody, and they are talking more about their view. What's happening is I'm getting a closer, clearer look of the map of their mind as it touches spiritual things, and I see the dimensions of it now. And sometimes they see the dimensions of it in a clearer way than they did before because they've not really thought detail about this. People don't think too well about these things nowadays. And so the questions forces, force them to think through this a little bit. And sometimes what I will see when I, when I get this spiritual topography in my mind's eye is I see that there's some minefields out there, and I can then skirt the minefields while I move towards my, my goal in the conversation. What do you mean by minefield? Sorry for interrupting. Uh, no, that's right. Um, sometimes the um, I say sometimes there there are sensitivities that people have to aspects of the conversation, and so it might turn out that um, uh, they they just uh, you know. Uh, I talked to a guy in an airplane next to me once, and it turned out he said that he was not a Christian. We were in already. We're just making small talk, and he asked me what I did for a living, and so then he said, "Oh yeah, well I'm not a Christian." He said, "I used to be, but I'm not anymore." Okay. Um, now, do you think that would be valuable information? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then he says, "I used to be a preacher's kid." I said, "How do you used to be a preacher's kid? Did your dad die?" He said, "No, my, my dad's alive. He's just no longer a preacher anymore, and he's no longer a Christian." Oh my. Oh, there you go. See now, that's a minefield. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's any baggage there? Yeah, there's a lot of baggage. And so what, what I was able to do is I, then I can start maneuvering around, the, uh, around those minds in my communication. And uh, that, that's what happened. So it, was, it, 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 it enlightened me to a problem that I needed to be aware of in order to have a productive conversation with him. And had I, by, by the way, had I just jumped in to kind of a simple presentation of the gospel, 
and this goes back to something you said earlier, Nathaniel, had I just jumped into a simple presentation of the gospel and got kind of right, right down to it, um, this guy, I know what his response would have been, even if he hadn't voiced it, been there, done that, and, right. it, and it hurt. And so um, because I did this different approach, it had a different impact on him. And we were able to have, I think, a meaningful conversation that didn't fulfill, by the way, his negative stereotypes of Christians. You mentioned that tactics take the pressure off in an argument. Now, I liked this concept, but could you explain for the listeners more? We think about the way most people approach conversations with people about spiritual things. The model they have in their mind is to confront. Uh, have you heard about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Have you been born again? Have you, uh, what, I mean, so these are the kind of questions that are entrees right into a spiritual conversation. It's right. already about, okay, Jesus. So you're, Jesus is front and center there. And I understand the impulse, but but a lot of times when you say that, well, people are going to go, okay, here comes here comes. A, a, a religious person, a religious fanatic, a religious not, you know, who knows what. Here comes an arrogant person. Here comes Watch the 25-pound Bible. Here's a Bible, yeah, thumper. Here's a bigoted person. I mean, these are the kinds of things that people think of more nowadays, you know. And so, oh, now you're behind the eight ball a little bit, okay? And um, plus, you're thinking, i got to get to the gospel, and my goal is to try to win this person to Christ and to challenge him to receive Christ. So that's a lot of pressure on a believer. You mm -hmm. create a pressure situation, and they have pressure to move forward to try to close the deal because Been that's done. Yeah. And, um, and what will many, maybe most Christians do when they countenance the pressure that they are about to face? I'll tell you what most of them do. They don't get off the bench. They just forget about it. They say, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to avoid that because I don't want the conflict. And so uh, with the tactical approach, um, I start out by saying I never have it as a goal to get to the get to the close. I don't try to close the deal. I don't try to win that person to Christ in that conversation. That is not my goal. It doesn't mean I might not get there. It doesn't mean I won't get there, but it means that I'm not shooting for that because especially nowadays, much more pre-evangelism is necessary. Um, and so consequently, um, I'm going to shoot for a different goal. So I have the game plan that allows me to probe. That's the tactical game plan, the Colombo tactic, the use of questions in a very specific way that allow me to probe and see where I'm going. But now I'm not worried about closing the deal. So, and I'm not worried about doing all the talking. And I'm not worried about confronting that person with something he doesn't like and making him angry. So I don't have pressure on me. I can have a relaxed conversation, asking a few questions, showing interest in the other person, and it changes. You know this, Nathaniel, because you you referred to this earlier. It completely changes the yep. whole approach and the whole feeling about doing what we used to call evangelism. I think of it more more about being an ambassador than an evangelist now, and that helps me too. But uh, it changes everything. Well, you mentioned. Uh your goal now is not to necessarily uh, head straight for the gospel, and I understand that some people would be um, uh, confused about that, but I have two questions, uh, and uh, first one is, you mentioned that your tactic now is to put a stone in somebody's shoe, and That's I right. love that, and I want you to explain that, but also, what would be your answer to somebody if they're afraid of trying something new, or you know they're, they're just skeptical about well, this is a new approach. Is this is this scriptural? Is this something that that we should do? I mean, is this biblical? You know. Um, think about this uh, with regards to the question: Is this biblical? Was the baptism of John from God or from man? From where did that come from? From God. That, no, where where did that question come from? That was a that question. Was Jesus. That was Jesus asking a question for the Pharisees. Who do men say that I am? Jesus. That's Jesus. Um, uh, whose picture is on this coin? Love that. Caesar's. Okay. And again, and again, and again, and again. You see, Jesus asks questions all the time. 
And uh, Jesus used, you might say Jesus used the Colombo tactic. Yep. Now, he didn't call it that, but um, he used the Colombo tactic. So um, the, the first thing, is this biblical? Of course it's biblical. Of course it's biblical, but I, I need to toss something else in. Even if I don't have examples of question asking in the Bible, why do I have to have examples of that in order to do that? That's good. That's good I, point. I don't need God's permission to ask questions. You know, uh, we, we are to be um, shrewd, Jesus said this, in the way we engage, uh, be, be, be gentle as doves, are innocent as doves, but shrewd as serpents. And right. That gives us a latitude to adopt in, in a certain manner, the, the, the gentle as doves, adopt a clever manner. <laughs> Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 that we are to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, letting our, our speech be, uh, be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so we know how to respond to each person. So why does that, isn't, isn't that giving us latitude? We are, we, are, we are going into conversations being wise, you know, thinking and, and maneuvering well. So I think that gives us latitude in a lot of ways, but we do have Jesus as an example, using lots of questions. Now, as to the person who says, well, this is kind of new for me, I don't know about trying anything new. Um, two thoughts. There is nothing easier than the Colombo tactic. It's true. Nothing. There is no way that you can get involved in drawing people out and getting a part in conversations that could lead to productive spiritual conversations. There's no way that is going to be more simple than the Colombo tactic. Now, if that makes a person uncomfortable to even start this, um, Look, uh, then what they have to do, and uh, the old phrase is man up, right? <laughs> they're a, a woman or a man. The point is you step up to it. You mm -hmm. say, okay, maybe this, it's not going to get any easier than what I've offered. We have an obligation to engage at right. level. This is the way to do it. And for mm -hmm. those people who think, well, I'm just going to be nice and I'll witness by how nice I am. Well, I think that's, that is nice, but, um, just keep in mind, you're never going to be able to out-nice a Mormon. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that kind of answers uh, one of my questions is, uh, you know, I, I'm not a person who has a lot of experience in debating. I hate to debate. I don't have any college credentials. Uh -huh. Just a regular working guy or I'm just a regular mom. You know, how how can I do this, you know? And, right. And that kind of answer that question. It, it is it is so simple. Right. Is 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 you don't have to be confrontational. You just ask these questions. Yeah. What what can it what could be easier than than talking to somebody who opposes you, and you're engaged with somebody and you say, you know, could you just tell me a few moments, uh, in a few moments, just tell me, explain your view, your own view. Just really carefully. Well, Greg, what they're going to say is, I know I know what you are. You're one of those. Christians, and I don't believe what you have to offer. All right, I'm curious what you do believe. Okay, I'm just role playing it now with you. Mm -hmm. right. right. What do you believe? I, I'd like to know. I, am a, I consider myself an open-minded person, and I have my own convictions, but I'm I'm open to hearing what other people have to say. One I'm of the not going to give you any pushback either. I just want to understand your view. One of the things that you you answered that I really liked. Nathaniel, wait a minute. Sorry. I just reemphasize that all that I just did there was a role play. Right. All those words were exactly as how I would have done it, and right. that's that difficult. Is just express your interest in what they have to say. Well, they're already resistant, so you know. Okay, wow. Now you got a big resistance there. Okay, mm -hmm. so you just draw them out. Let them do all the talking. You want to make make mental notes about their view. Now it may right. turn out that you don't even. Yeah, you know, thank you. I appreciated that. You told me what you thought. Now I've got something to think about. And then right. that's the end of it. Let it die a natural death. Right. And you've gotten some fabulous information from people now. So you're, you've got a little insight into their thinking. And now you can go back and you could, you're educated now as to how the other side is thinking, or at least that person. And that's invaluable. Yep. And another thing you said that I like is another way you, you, you tackled it was there came a point in one of your um, written down situations that, I confess I was trying to draw you out. Uh, um, 
is that you meant, you told when somebody had approached you like that, you came back to say, um, well, really, I haven't told you what I believe. I was just oh, asking yeah. you questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that was one of the things I thought that definitely takes the pressure off. Sure, sure, yeah. And But that's a unique situation. That's a situation in which, um, say, some what I call a professor's ploy, where the professor in your class is is spouting off all these anti-Christian things. Right. And then you being careful in your tactical approach, instead of making a frontal assault on the professor, Just which is smart, you instead raise your hand and ask, well, what do you mean by that? And can you explain your view? Right. Now, that kind of situation, the Christian is not explaining their view at all. They're just asking a question. If the professor presumes that you are a believer and then tries to call you out, you know, in front of the class, oh, you believe blah, 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 you, you're one of these Christians who believes X, Y, Z, all right, you know, you stand up and t you, you refute me in front of the class, go ahead. Basically, that's what he says. Uh, that's when you say, wait a minute, I never, I never shared my right. so you don't know but what Because I the typical thing is if, if somebody opposes you, you tend to think, oh, I want to put a label on them because they're opposing me. And I've asked questions before where I don't really oppose what a person is saying, but I'm asking them maybe because I do agree, and they just need to clarify it more. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And that, and that will happen, um, say, for example, if you're a student in a class, uh, maybe you're, you're a Christian student in a Christian school in a theology class, and you're trying to test the mettle of somebody else's view, which you might agree with, but you're thinking, you know, if I were to raise this, somebody else might ask this question, so... I'm going to ask the same question to see how they would respond so I'm educated. You agree with them, but you're still you're being devil's advocate, so to speak. Nice. Yeah, and, and that's also a good way to go. And uh, so it could be, like you said, Keith, you might be agreeing with somebody that you're, that you're probing, um, but you're just trying to test the strength of the view, which is a very, very good thing to do. I actually think that Christians who hold certain theological views either within the body of Christ or contra other world views, uh, need to be in the practice of asking the challenging question uh, uh, of themselves or of others who think the same. And you can even role play it so that you can kind of test where are the weak points and how would I, how would I answer this challenge? Uh, you practice beforehand and uh, be ready. Think of the weak points that people might raise in your own view or what people might think are weak points and be ready for them beforehand. It's much better than getting caught with your pants. That's right. and, and this kind of goes into one last question that I wanted to ask is, uh, sometimes people, as you stay in your book, they kind of whip out a pat stock answer. Uh, they, they rattle off a party line of uh, pro-life or pro-choice or whatever. Yeah. What are some things that Christians often will just whip out a party line, so to speak, a, a canned slogan that will get shot full of holes well, <laughs> blow up on their face you know. I'll say and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want it to be misunderstood but the number one canard that the Christians offer maybe I shouldn't call it a canard because that's negative it's a it's, it's, it's a true statement and it has a certain kind of significance but in terms of conversation with other people in the world it is not only virtually useless but it, it could create a lot more difficulty. And that statement is, but the Bible says. Mm. And I don't mean that, that uh, I am not objecting to people using biblical claims in appropriate ways, okay? I mean, preaching the gospel means communicating the biblical truth. Right. But if what one is just simply doing is invoking the Bible as a broad authority against someone's view, um, unless a person respects the Bible. Correct. This is not going to be useful. That's right. How would you uh, approach, I mean, to basically say that the Bible says, but, but not say those words to, to respond to a person? Well, it depends on the kind of question. So if, if here's, the, here's the way that it often comes up. You know, well, I don't believe in the Bible. It's only written by men, but it was. But the Bible says it was inspired by God. Okay, this it's circular. I mean, the the the, the detractor is going to say, yeah, I know what it says, and that thing that it says was written by men. 
and men are fallible. So I don't know. So it doesn't even address the issue. And, uh, and so it just it's basically throwing, you know, Bible verses at people like rocks. And this isn't helpful. Now, if instead we are challenged on our worldview, like like you say, how could there be so much evil in the world? Well, we can say, I can tell you how. I can explain that within the context of our view. On our view, God made everything that was good. And he made man unique from everything else. And one of the unique things is he had moral freedom. And this kind of image of God in man that entailed moral freedom allowed him to have a friendship with God. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But what happened is man used that freedom for ill and he rebelled and that messed everything up. He broke the world. Okay, now we are giving the biblical truth, but we are we are using it to explain how our view solves a problem that they're that they're uh, that they're that they're that they have with us. And if they say, "Well, I don't believe the Bible," it doesn't matter. It, and it's not the point that you have to believe. But it's how we explain our problem, the okay. solution to the problem. Sorry. And, and uh, that explains it pretty well. And I know in a recent podcast, I think that you did probably a couple of weeks ago, I think there was a caller that had a question like similar to that, how do you preach the gospel without quoting chapter and verse? And I think you did a good job at, at addressing that, which is pretty much what you just did. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> and Maybe your listeners noticed, um, maybe not, I'm not sure, but I really work hard to try to avoid um, the common standard religious, religious language or vocabulary that Christians use. Um, I call it watching your language, you know, but I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about using religious language. And so um, I, I try to find synonyms for all the common words, even sin. I'm not afraid of talking about sin, but if you say sin, that's just a religious word. People eyes, people's eyes glaze over. I want to talk about rebellion. I want to talk about, you know, a fighting God and, and uh, uh, sedition against their um, mor moral harm or... Um, uh, or something like that. I'm going to try to find other ways that describe the problem of rebellion. And, and Greg, that's really stronger language than sin, the word. Well, I think it is in terms of people's perception. They've heard the word sin so much. They, it's it's just one of those, I, I, I just call it, um, it's kind of like when you go on an airplane and you hear the flight attendant, uh, you know, talk when you, you first sit down. And I, I, always, I ask, what do flight attendants say? And they, here's what they say, blah, 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 <laughs> because that's what you hear. And it's flight attendant uh, yakety yak. And uh, when, when, uh, when Christians use language like that, what the non-believer hears is just Christian yakety yak. Yeah. And so it's our task to try to find replacement words that actually communicate and doesn't sound like we're just reciting off slogans. Like Jesus is Savior and Lord. Well, he is Savior and Lord, but those words do not communicate anything meaningful to people right now. And we have to find, he's rescuer. He's God sovereign of the universe. And we have taken, we have entered into battle with the sovereign of the universe. You think we're going to win that battle? Non-Christian, you think you're going to win that? You're not going to win. You're not going to win. If you were smart, you'd sue for peace. You'd lay down your arms, you'd beat your breast, and you say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the only way to win this battle. And you know what you're going to get? You're going to get mercy. Now, is that the gospel? Yep. That's the gospel. I didn't mention Jesus at that point, but, you know, I'd probably get mercy is possible because of what Jesus did. Right. Notice how it is an entirely different way. But I did make a, a, a reference to a biblical image, and that is the tax gatherer in the right. synagogue beating his breast, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So I'm getting the scripture in there, or scripture ideas. It's all there. But it's, I'm just going to rhetorical question to your listeners. Listeners, didn't that sound more powerful, what I described, than you're a sinner and you've got to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord or else you're going to hell? Or trying to explain the Romans Road or any of the other well, um, yeah. techniques. Well, yeah, and I'm not putting down any of those sequences, but I'm, I'm just encouraging people to be careful. If that's an outline, the Romans Road is an outline you have in your mind, fine. But just remember the pitfalls, use the outline, make reference to the passages at appropriate times, but you're going to have to take a lot longer than you used to have to with that kind of thing. And you have to explain it in terms that they understand, or it's just not going to communicate. Right, because that seems to be a trick these days is when people say they don't believe in the Bible or, or put much faith in it, then you have to present that same message without saying the Bible says or, sure, sure. or things like that. 
I'm going to say, so. yeah, I, I, if somebody says, I don't believe in the Bible, I might, I might say, I'm just thinking, I'm not asking you to believe in the Bible. I just want you to listen to this. Listen to this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Mm -hmm. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, now, uh, Christian, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Do you know who said that? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, right, and I'm role-playing here. Jesus said that. Do you think there's any wisdom in that statement? Is there any wisdom in what Jesus said? This is the same guy who said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, now I'm out of the role-play for a second. Notice how these, I'm citing Jesus, one, a common-sense, wise statement mm -hmm. put. So uh, you don't have to believe in the Bible. Just listen to this wise man. Jesus, he's laying on the line. He's telling you what the what's at stake here. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, it, it, when I said "come unto me," I'm just making an appeal that Jesus has made, and I'm doing a, an end around the mind. And I'm, it's it's a I'm, it's an appeal to their existential state. They are maybe they're weary or overwhelmed with guilt or just with life. And the, and, and I said, look here, Jesus is saying, "Come here. I, I'm going to put my arms around you, and I will give you." So. So there are ways to use the Bible without demanding that people believe the Bible. I have confidence that the words of Jesus have power. He has insight. He's a man to be reckoned with. And so if we can take some of his words, and we don't even have to quote him exactly. I know these verses, but, it, but we don't have to quote him exactly. I was going to ask what version you're quoting from. I'm well, just kidding. I just know he said it. It's in the Gospels. <laughs> but... Um, no, I jokingly say that, but I'll kind of want to point out, too, to any Christian listeners that it is important to know the Bible, know the scriptures, but it's also equally important that you know them well enough that you can paraphrase them on the fly, yeah. even if you don't know that it comes from, you know, Luke chapter and verse or whatever. Right. That's right. In fact, if you're talking to non-Christians, if you're quoting chapter and verse, this is going to maybe be a little annoying. Now, if I'm talking with believers, I'm going to sometimes will give the reference if I'm teaching about these things, like I just said about Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, and Paul's conduct yourself with wisdom verse. But I say that so that Christians can make note, yeah, that is biblical, so it has authority to them, and they can also write it down and go find it mm -hmm. themselves and maybe meditate on it, think about it, and make that verse their own. You know, I want to come back to something. If I can, Nathaniel, we've made some... Um, um, casual references to this idea of putting a stone in Yes! I wanted to go back to that. Yeah, I just want to flesh that out a little bit, um, because and, and also answer a question that might be in people's minds. Um, the, the, what my goal is in a conversation is not to lead someone to Christ, so I'm not swinging for the fences is the point, to use a baseball metaphor. Um, I, 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 my modest goal is just to get them thinking. Now, I call that putting a stone in their shoe. And you know when you got a stone in your shoe, it's just a small thing, but it annoys the heck out of you. Yeah. You're walking around, you're saying, doggone it, it's got your attention. And sometimes you got to stop and empty the shoe. So that's the, that is, I think, a fairly crisp and memorable picture yep. um, of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say something that gets people thinking. I want to annoy them in a good way. Okay, yeah, I mean, he said that thing, and I, yeah, I've been, now that I, I don't know what to do with that. Maybe plant a seed of doubt, you can call it that. That's, what, or that's one type of stone in the shoe. But I, I'm trying to, if I could just get them thinking, then, um, then I'm going to be satisfied. And, and um, people say, well, wait a minute, what if they don't come to the Lord? Or what about bringing them to the Lord? I look, at Jesus puts stones in shoes all the time. That's right. He never got to the end game. He, I rather, he did not get to the end game in every conversation. And so what he did a lot of times is frustrate people. And so here's what I'm what I'm doing. You know, By the way, people don't realize, because I think in the Gospel of Mark, very early on, Jesus sees the disciples fishing. He says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What they don't realize, and you learn this from the other Gospels, is that he'd already been working with these guys for a while before he finally calls them to a full commitment, you know. And... Um, and so the, the same thing here. There, there's time that has to go on as people consider these things before you call them in. And, and also, I am part of a team. Oh, you mean stand to reason? No. 
the body of Christ is sure. the, uh, the team I'm talking about. And so there are a lot of other, what I want to call gardeners in the field. Mm -hmm. We're all gardeners in the field and everyone is doing a little bit. And if everybody's putting a stone in people's shoes, and to, to mix my metaphors here, or everybody's doing a little cultivating of the garden, eventually there's going to be a harvest because yep. God, God is causing the increase. I don't have to be the gardener and the harvester. Um, uh, we, we can't all be harvesters, or else there'd be no there'd be no harvest. You have to you have to have a, you have to have gardeners and harvesters. You've got to have sowers and reapers. And Jesus says in John four that the sowers and reapers rejoice together. Right after the woman in the well, they're in the midst of that circumstance. That's where he says this. And the sowers and reapers rejoice together. So my goal in any conversation, and when I'm talking to a non-Christian audience, like at the university, I just tell them. I'm not here to convert you. I just want to put a stone in your shoe. I just want to know you in a good way. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you know, that reminds me years ago when I did my one year of a college before I dropped out. Uh, I forget the exact circumstance, but there was a, a bunch of us uh, Christians hanging around at the quad, and there's a couple of gals come up who stated some atheist beliefs and got their snarky comments in, and as they walked away, you know, I could tell the, the one girl was kind of a hanger-on, and I stopped her and I asked her, do you believe what this your friend just said? And, and she kind of hemmed and hawed, and I said, you know, because, uh, you know, it's not, you know, she, she's putting a bunch of the labels on us, and we haven't even done anything or said anything. And I basically said, now, you know, whether you believe in Jesus or not, or whether you believe in the Bible or not, or God or whatever, you know, just think of this, you know, in in 70 to 90 years, both you and I will be in the same place. We'll be laying in the grave someplace and our life will be over with. If you're right, then wonderful. We would have spent a nice full life. If I'm right, then think of what that means. Yeah, right. And, well, I, left, and I left it at that. And I never saw her again, but hopefully that was a stone in the shoe. Excellent. People yeah, may excellent. say say it, it's fire insurance protecting against you know the, the fires of hell but in that case i don't think so i think it was just to give her something to think about of course you're, you're offering a kind of a cost benefit analysis and um there was a very famous christian that that offered a wager his name was pascal and in, in this wager famously called pascal's wager that really was the same thing and it, and it was meant to show that if the atheist is right and the christian is wrong uh, the atheist gains nothing. Uh, if, if he's right, you gain. The atheist gains nothing, and you lose nothing. But if the Christian is right, the the Christian gains everything, and the atheist loses everything. And so it, it's it's um, uh, the 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 worst the best case scenario for the atheist is the worst case scenario for the Christian. Mm -hmm. you know, it, this analysis. So that's great. It's it's an excellent example, Keith, of uh, of putting a stone in their shoe. Let me let me answer a question that might be coming to people's mind. Is sometimes they forget forget to address this, and the question that they might be asking is, well, when does this guy get to the gospel? I mean, if his goal isn't to get to the gospel, then does he ever get to the gospel? How do you get to your, when do you get to the gospel in your system? And I have a very simple answer for that, um, and it sounds a little cheeky, but I'll explain it. I get to the gospel whenever I want. Okay, and what I mean by that is I do not feel artificially forced to get to the end game before I think the person is ready to consider that realistically. Okay, I, 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 I am trying to measure my, my interaction with them. And most of the time, um, especially in our culture now, I, I'm trying to remove obstacles. I call it clearing the brush. Uh, I'm trying to um, get things out of the way that keep them from even considering the claims of Christ. And so uh, that's what I'm doing. But if I have an opportunity to go the distance, I'll do that if I think the circumstance warrants it. Um, and uh, if I think the other person is at least in a position to either countenance the claim, or at least to understand it without pushing it away, without considering it. So there's a judgment call that's involved, but the point I'm making is I don't feel compelled to go there. 
uh, in every conversation. Instead, I can conduct myself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of that opportunity. Knowing how to respond to each person is the way Paul put it in Colossians. Well, I know that your time is valuable, and I really want to ask a couple more questions on my side. Um, first okay. of all... Uh, it's okay, Nathaniel. I got some time. Uh, the big one, I guess, is... One, one is for everybody. The, the next one is for me. This one's for everybody. Where right. can the reader find tactics? Well, if you want to buy the book, uh, go to str.org. That's our um, website, str.org. And uh, just go to the bookstore, um, and you can buy it from us. Um, that's kind of nice, and Stan Reason gets a, just a little cut of that as the organization. Now, if you want to get Amazon your cut, because you do uh, Amazon uh, one-click, which I do a, with a lot of purchases, it's very easy. You go to Amazon and just type in tactics, it'll come right up. And, um, and you just you know, hit your click that way, and you get it in two days. That's, that's uh, another convenient way to do it. So, I am a- I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Logos Bible software, and so I got mine, my copy, on Verso. Uh, unfortunately, most of your books aren't on Verso. This is the selfish question. Can you uh, look into maybe uh, putting some more on there? Uh, most of our books? I don't even know what Verso is. So It's a, it's a app that's into uh, Logos. Oh, okay. It's affiliated with, with, with Logos. And as a blind person uh, who consumes books on audio, uh, I, I, I found that your book is available on Audible as yeah, well as an iTunes store. Yeah, I don't know who read it. I hope it was a good reader. What do you think? He was a pretty good reader, yeah. Good. Uh, but, uh, but it would be nice if they were on the, uh, the National Library Service's Talking Book Library because I couldn't find you there at all. Huh. I, well, I don't know. Uh, I, that that is actually in the hands of Donder and the publisher. But oh well. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 a combination of the publisher and the library itself. Uh, they uh-huh. they only put talking books out there if if there's a demand or if they perceive that the, the you know listeners would demand those. All right. Well, get, keep hammering those guys with a request for tactics, and maybe they'll count them up and don't realize that it's you who's doing all the que- asking. And maybe. <laughs> A Verso, is that V-E-R-S-O? V-Y-R-S-O for Verso. V-Y-R-S-O, and, and uh, that's connected with Logos. And, and, uh, yes, and the company that does that is Faith Life. Faith Life. Well, we have connections with uh, Logos. We, okay, we, good. We promote their, their excellent software. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's great. Um, anyway, so that's a... Uh, I, I'll, I'll make a note of that. I have so even if, even if you get it through to the actual Logos store that's fine too i can connect that way too so yeah right but uh, again the, the str.org uh avenue is a, 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 also an, a legitimate one or a productive one for the book and it will get you in our website not you now Nathaniel, but um it'll uh, it'll get the, the listener to our website and we have thousands of pages of information there mm-hmm. we have we have I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasts uh, people can download the podcast. They can subscribe to it. They get it every week, two hours plus, and uh, a weekly. It's not that's not burdensome. And uh, same kind of stuff we're doing right here. Uh, right. And, and the wonderful thing about a podcast is it's consumable anytime you want it. Right. It's, it's on demand whenever you're, the listeners available. So if you happen to miss the AFR radio show, you can pick it up when the podcast gets posted. Oh, yeah. Well, AFR is just one hour. Um, oh we, really? We take one hour. We take the, an hour, the best hour, you know, in any week, and then we we send it to AFR and some other markets. So, oh, wow. but the podcast is is two hours long. It had been three hours, but now we, we're doing a separate um, podcast called uh, hashtag STR Asks, and that's another half hour. And I do it right after the regular show. And in that case, um, Melinda, who is our uh, she does a lot of. She's a co-founder of Santa Reason, and she's the. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, but she's also the. Uh, she's also the. Uh, executive director. She's the executive director, but she's the, uh, the uh, board. She's the producer of the radio show, and so 
she fields questions that come in to Twitter at hashtag SDRask. Oh. And she just asks me questions, and she has me on a timer. I only have four minutes to answer a question. So what this does is provide a half-hour uh, product that's kind of rapid fire for people who don't want to do the full two-hour podcast. Nice. So it's a separate it's a separate yeah. podcast. So I'll have to check that yeah. out. And, yeah, you're not going to get that on on uh, on the other radio markets. So I suggest people and, put that and on the web page there are several podcast feeds, so yeah. you can pick and choose as you need. Right. Yep, and I just subscribed to STR asks. Great. Well, that's great. There, there are two apps now, and, and uh, um, the, the regular standard STR app that gives a variety of different things, and then they have the quick reference app. Where I've you got can, both. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's got a section on tactics, and you yep. get a quick uh, thumbnail sketch of each tactic, the little video clips in there where I explain the tactic. and So it's it's really great. And they're free, for goodness sake. They're, they're yeah, it's, it's awesome. And people can follow me on Twitter, too, if they want to do that, and um, they can go to my Facebook and and that's where they can find out more about my personal life and my family and uh, traveling and stuff like that. So it's these are different means of kind of reaching out and, and expanding and deepening our sense of community with people who follow Standard Reason and want to learn from what we have. Man, it was great talking to you today. Keith, do you have anything else? Well, uh, speaking as a Marine Corps jarhead vet to an old Army doggy vet, uh, huh. The only thing I would say is the, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> tactics book. Yeah, I changed it a little bit. I said bleed in battle. I like the alliteration. But the more, the more, you, the more you sweat in, in uh, training, in yeah. the, the more you bleed. The, 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 the less you bleed in battle. The yeah. more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a, a, a verbatim mantra, but the idea is there. And it, and yeah. it is pounded into your head whenever you are well, <laughs> training. You know, and it's a good one for us as followers of Christ to think about. Because we are in a battle. Yep. And, uh, and there is blood left. And if we train more effectively, and I think tactics is a good tool, among others, for training. Uh, we're going to bleed less. We're going to be more effective. I am so glad we got to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I just I, I love and appreciate everything you do. And, uh, of course, you're my brother in Christ, and I'm looking That's forward it. to seeing you in person, if not on this side, on the next side. So. You're either here, there, or in the air, as we used That's to right. say. That's right. I like that. <laughs> well, Nathaniel, uh, it's been fabulous uh, talking with you and uh, – guys keith thank you so much for your questions uh, you do a really good job um I, I do lots and lots of interviews and you are very very capable uh, oh, thank you so I, thank I appreciate that and uh, simplify to you both <laughs> always faithful right yes sir for today's classic let's talk about the screw tape letters by c.s lewis what would the devil and his demons do to keep christians from serving christ this book may just give you an idea. It's a fictional series of letters written from one demon to his nephew, explaining to him how to stop the Christians. This one may make you think, so check it out. It's a classic, so it should not be hard to find. And now for some uplifting verse. The 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isaiah 40.31 But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint.
John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening to Life Truth Presents. Greg Kokel can be heard and read at str.org. Nathan Caldwell and Keith Heltsley can be found at life-truth.com. Nathan is also a writer and reviewer for Clean Fiction Magazine, which can be found at cleanfictionmagazine.com.